Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan Jay. Uh, I just want it known. I've already put in my waiver wire claim for that cat from last night's Monday Night Football game. Ah, damn it. You beat me to it. Yes. The biggest free agency in all of fantasy football Mm -hmm. claimed. I'll say, is uh, Drew Rosenhaus representing that cat yet? Because if he's not, he needs to get on the phone. We're going to definitely find out in a little bit, but we have to introduce who else is joining us in the studio. It is your coach. It is my coach. It is the coach, Coach Duffy. Guys, it's good to be back. Had to recharge my batteries after that absolute debacle on Saturday Night Football with Notre Dame. Uh, Travis Shamockery is the uh, best way to describe that game. So I had to I had to recharge. I had to lay low for a week, uh-huh. and uh, you know, then they come back with a win. You know, uh, against uh, Virginia Tech. So all things are well in the Duffy household. Things are back to even keel, and my fr- my loved ones don't need to be in fear anymore. Well, so yeah. It's like uh, college football. No, I think I saw something while I was at the gym today. Doesn't the, like the top twenty five or whatever playoff ranking come out tonight? I don't, Something like that. Yeah, it might be tonight. If not, say, I think I, normally it's a Sunday show. I'll say, I, I want to say within the next week, like yeah. the, uh, the college football rankings. It is. It is soon. It's week. Out. I mean, it's week twelve. So yeah. week eleven. About so that time. soon. About yeah. that time. After Florida losing, I just kind of didn't pay attention. I'm not it's lie. been. It's been rough. I mean that that Michigan game. I plopped on my couch and was just like. I but, well, the way Baker Mayfield looks was how I felt that night. Ah, uh, so, so you shaved your beard like three different times. I well, no, I just looked like a man defeated who you know looks like he just had an affair, who was caught and now divorced and not allowed to see his kids. That's how I looked. Wow, on uh, Saturday night, it okay. was rough. Okay, wow, rough. We're gonna get into that and a little bit more of the sports world. So definitely join in the conversation on social media. Hit us up on that hashtag hashtag odph. Join in the conversation, but let's kick it off like we always do during football season. It's time to go over the locks and leaps. Pad, why don't you start us off? Sure, I'll start with my uh, lock. I decided to get a little spooky with the lock, if you will. I chose the game that was going on on Halloween. The San Francisco 49ers against the Arizona Cardinals. San Francisco is favored to win. They won, however, they did not cover the spread. Uh, They won by the final score of 28-25. to If I'm not mistaken, the spread was uh, by 10 points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, 28 of 37 for 317 yards. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. Kyler Murray, 17 of 24 for 241 yards. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Coach, your thoughts? I I mean... I was really surprised to see Arizona offensively be able to hang in this game given the fact that San Francisco's defense had been playing so well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the biggest thing, I think, is with Arizona, I mean, a lot was going in with um, uh, Kingsbury becoming the head coach, you know, with his track record of being a college coach, of not running the ball often or at all, really, and using, like, mostly just screen passes in order to to get a quote-unquote run game going. Right. So, you know, we all kind of thought going into the year, like, he has to run the ball in the NFL. You cannot not do it. But we all were like, will he or won't he? Right. And it's good to see that he is sticking to the run game. And, I mean, obviously getting Drake from Miami in the tra- at the trade deadline, uh, 15 carries, not necessarily committing to the run, but, right. I mean, enough that he got 110 yards in a TD say a lot and of played fan- well. A lot of happy fantasy owners. Yeah, and, I mean, the week before and the, when they played the Giants, I mean, they had 20. I mean, it was a rainy day, so that kind of, sure, you sure. know. 
deviates from the average, but they ran it 20 plus times. So right. it's, you know, he's sticking to the run and, and it's working for them. And for them to put up 25 on this very good 49ers defense, arguably, yeah, either the best or second best defense right now in the NFL. Things are working in Arizona. I'll say I'm definitely surprised at how well Arizona's offense played, given how much you know is is praised and said about the San Francisco uh, defense. Because, like you said, they're one of, if not the best, defenses in the NFL right now, depending on who you talk to. But you look at the stats; they only got uh, they they hit uh, Kyler Murray for three sacks, which okay, you know that's that's pretty good, but it's not you know stellar or anything. And then you look at the turnovers; uh, no turnovers. You yeah, know, that's huge. That, which is very surprising. So, you know, not necessarily all oh, the sky is falling, the, the San Francisco defense is falling apart. It might have just been an off night, but who knows? No, it's a Thursday night short week. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. The one thing you have to realize with Arizona is they're going to scrap with everybody. Yeah. Statistically, they're not the best team. And obviously, David Johnson not being on that roster hurts him. Kenyon Drake is a huge addition. And he Out. looked... He, he looked the part. Helping. Uh, the other thing I should mention is four catches for 52 yards. Yeah, I mean. So, working both sides. It worked, especially the fact that Johnson's going to be out for the foreseeable future. And right. Edmonds was out as well. So, right. I mean, they made a move that, you know, they needed to make. And I, we'll see how it pays off as the year goes on because I do believe Johnson's not on IR. So, I, I think, think he's so. set to come not back. The last and, I read. Yeah, and Edmonds is also going to come back eventually here, too. So, I mean, that's going to be a loaded backfield that, right. you know, when you're only given 15 carries a game to your main guy, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how he use all three backs. Yeah. But, but with the Niners, though, who have arguably the most deceptively good defense in all the NFL because yeah. it's not flashy. I mean, Richard no. Sherman's there. Bosa's having a great year, which Bosa's nobody's just talking gonna, about. Bosa's just going to rip you apart. Yeah. I mean, and he has really elevated his game up recently. And to flip it over to the other side of the ball, nobody on air, or the 49ers offense really scares you. Jimmy G is Jimmy G. Yeah. He game manages better than anybody. Right. But if it comes, he's not going to win a shootout with any team per se. Right. I mean, you look at their running game. They've got uh, Matt Burrito was their leading rusher uh, during this game. He had 78 yards. Uh, Tevin Coleman had 23 yards. And then you flip to the receiving core. Yeah, he's got Emmanuel Sanders there. And Emmanuel Sanders had seven catches for 112 yards, one touchdown. Good. Uh, George Kittle, six catches for 79 yards, one touchdown. And, and Debo Samuel, Samuel. You know, so it's good, but it's not anything that, like, oh, God, we're going up against this receiving core. I just think it's what Shanahan does offensively. Yeah. I just think it's all, you know, scheme and it's all making the right calls at the right time. And I mean, obviously, Jimmy G has something to do with that because you got to think that Garoppolo has the freedom to go up to the line to check things that he sees. I, you would think, I mean, unfortunately, we don't get to see a ton of Chicago or San Francisco games right. being on the East Coast. So, right. you know, this was one of the few games that you get to see them being on national TV. But. Yeah, I mean, you got to think that they have trust in each other, that they're going to make the right decisions on the field. And Shanahan just devises schemes, good game plans that get guys in opportunities to get open. Right. Yeah, and it works in his favor, too. I mean, Sanders coming over from Denver was a huge addition. That was a good trade. That was a very, very sly good move. And it almost gives him a number one option. Almost. Almost. Kittle has not been putting up a ton of numbers, but he's definitely an impact player on the field. So, well, well, I just think the Sanders thing just helps give them somebody the uh, the ability to stretch the field. Because, I mean, Samuel is going to be a good wide receiver. I mean, he was a good wide receiver in Clemson and mm-hmm. played very well there um, and has good size and everything. So I think having Sanders on the opposite side of him is only going to help his opportunities it as should. he can stretch the field and get him underneath. And they're doing enough to win. They're not blowing any teams out per se. 
I mean, they have had a couple games where they really put on some points. But for, against a division rival such as Arizona, you know they're going to scrap. Mm-hmm. And this was a good win for, for San Francisco moving forward. Now yeah. the lone undefeated team in all the NFL. Right. And, a, and a, not a bad NFC West either. Right. They got a real interesting schedule coming up, though. Uh, their next game is on Monday Night Football uh, against the Seattle Seahawks. After that, they play Arizona again. And then to close out the year, they play the Packers, Ravens, Saints, Falcons, Rams, and Seahawks. That's tough. It's, uh-huh. That's really tough. Uh-huh. It's, it's going to be a tough stretch, but we'll actually see what this team is really made of. And it's not take away nothing from what they've done, though. They have gone in every game, and they've done what they needed to do, and that's win. To say they're going to run the table, no, definitely not going to happen no. against that lineup. But if you're a San Francisco 49er fan, you got to be really happy with what you're seeing. And dare I say, playoffs are going to be in that future. Well, you got to think that yeah. right now, given the fact, what, 9 10 now? Uh, eight and zero. Oh. Yeah. That you got to think that you know you're not going to lose eight straight. Then Lord, I would hope not. Yeah, I mean, and Green Bay, given the fact that you play them head to head, you know, just have, coming off a really bad loss in Los Angeles, so you already have two games up on them right now. Right. Not to mention the <clears throat> fact that if you do go on a run, I mean, if you, so, if they lose two games, they're easily going to be even if they lose. I think they could go eleven and five. And still lock in first place. Here's the thing, though. They're in first place, 8-0. Second place is the Saints, who are 7-1. Third place is the Packers, who are 7-2. Right. So if they lose two games in a row, they're knocked out of first place in the NFC, in the, in the NFC and they're sitting there looking at third place. Well, I, I, the playoff races in both. I mean, there's more teams in the AFC ha- who have the potential to get into the playoffs, but each the, the top four teams yeah. are all within, minus the Cowboys, of a game each other. In the NFC, mm-hmm. in the NFC, and then the right. AFC, they're all within a game of each other. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, the fact that we can actually mention Pittsburgh now making a resurgence and jumping in there is absolutely crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. albeit though they did get a little bit of luck, so a little bit of help. You know, uh, luck. I see what you did there. Yeah, king of the segways. <laughs> Talk to me. Yeah, so uh, for my leap, I decided to take the Pittsburgh Steelers going against the Indianapolis Colts. I figured, eh, you know what, they've been on a run of late. I think they'd be able to pull this one off. Didn't know that old man Vinatieri would have to doink one or shank one for me uh, to get that one for me. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers ended up winning by a final score of 26-24. Like I said, though, uh, Adam Vinatieri had a chance to win the game clutch at the the end and and missed it. Uh, Brian Hoyer, 17 of 26 for 168 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, taking over for an injured Jacoby Brissett who went down in the, I believe it was the second quarter. Uh, Mason Rudolph, 26 of 35 for 191 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Reception. Really, not a lot you got to take away from this game. I, no, mean, I mean, Pittsburgh's defense looks alive and has a pulse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're waking up at the right time. I'll say five sacks uh, during the game, four on Brian Hoyer, one on Jacoby Brissett. And Minka Fitzpatrick, look, that looks like a great mm-hmm. trade now. Yeah, that looks phenomenal. So the Steelers, you got to be very happy in the direction they're going. Obviously, they're taking advantage of Cleveland's woes. Yeah. And. They, oh, are, are they going to are they going to catch up to Baltimore? No, but no. can they make a run for the wild card? Absolutely, they can definitely make a run for the wild card and even you know create some noise and make some mess at the end of the season when we're sitting there watching you know Fox Sports One or ESPN going. All right, there's this team and here's the nine different scenarios they need to get into the playoff. Yeah, so obviously a lot of luck could happen in their favor, and for the Colts. Obviously, with Brissett going out, mm-hmm. their future is looking Ooh. very, very mur- I mean, murky, to say the least. Old man Hoyer comes in, steps right in, drops th- three touchdowns. Uh-huh. I mean, played well. I'll say just just know at one point yesterday there were four, uh, one current, three former Patriot quarterbacks on the field. Uh, yeah, I mean, wild. 
I, I, that was a good, when it happened during the offseason, we said that that was a good pickup. I yeah. mean, at the time, we thought yeah. Hoyer was going to arguably, make you know, a make a run. Well, yeah, we thought he was going to push Brissett even out of the starting job. So, uh, he's going to be serviceable. I mean, the Colts, I think, are still going to be in a solid position, even with if Brissett sits out a duration of time. I still think they're going to be okay with Hoyer. Oh, yeah. No, Hoyer is definitely a serviceable backup or even just a a guy you put in there while your starter is injured or you're waiting on him to come back. He'll get the job done for you. He's not flashy. You know, he's not exactly going to set, you know, a top 10 play countdown on fire, but he'll get the job done for you. Right. He'll get the job done, but he's no Russell Wilson. This is true. By any stretch of the imagination, which you have to look at what Seattle's doing in the West. Mm-hmm. And obviously, my lock came through. Didn't hit the point spread though, but it doesn't matter. Forty to thirty-four mm-hmm. out of a risky, risky come from behind win for Seattle. Pad, you got those stats? Yep. So uh, final score was Seattle forty, Tampa Bay thirty-four, winning in overtime. Uh, Jameis Winston twenty-nine of forty-four for three hundred and thirty-five yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Russell Wilson twenty-nine of forty-three for three hundred and seventy-eight yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Coach, I mean, it's never a question of what Pete Carroll goes to do. Because he goes to win the game. I mean, this is he, true. he has had gutsy calls before, and I, I mean, that is just his coaching style. And it pays off, especially when you look at the fact that, you know, Tampa Bay had played well. And the question mark that, the, that Tampa Bay is, we can get into in a second. But, you know, obviously they were playing well. And the gutsiness that Wilson has, the gutsiness that Carroll have, you know, Seattle obviously is never going to be a team that just drops down and quits, whether they're down 20 or down 30 or Mm -hmm. up 30. They're never going to stop. It's one of those things that the culture in Seattle is going to, you know, remain true to where it's been from, you know, obviously when Carroll took over and really just defined what Seattle football is. They're going to play every down. They're going to stick in every game no matter what the score is. And Tampa Bay is a team on the rise, let's face it. They have a lot of offensive weapons, and to go into Seattle and try pulling off a win is no easy feat. Seattle's scraps. Russell, yeah. Russell Wilson is having an MVP-type season. For sure. Oh, so yeah. Nobody's really talking about. You can definitely tell Tampa Bay was definitely trying in this game because, I'm sorry, Mike Evans, 12 catches for 180 yards. My yeah. goodness. Obviously, they got a battle of you know wide receivers there. And Seattle's wide receiving core is very quiet, obviously, um, without Doug Baldwin mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, even uh, when Doug Baldwin was there, he wasn't an argument. He was a good wide receiver, but, I mean, you put him on pretty much, I would say, 75% of the rest of the league, and he's a number two. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, but you look at what Seattle's receiving court did on Sunday. Uh, Tyler Lockett, 13 catches, 152 yards. DK Metcalf, six catches for 123 yards. Uh, he averaged 20 and a half yards a catch. Well, yeah. when you're throwing for 378, somebody's got to be catching him. This is true. Yeah, and this is what, what Wilson does. I mean, Seattle is going to be in every game. They're going to make a big playoff push. Oh, yeah. And they're going to definitely be in you know contention when it comes time to form in the wild cards. Well, then even talk about receiving core. They added Josh Gordon to that receiving core, so that'll make things interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, but it depends. Russell Wilson, like we've kind of touched about a little bit, he's never really had a true number one. That's true. I mean, it's debatable about Baldwin. I mean, that turned out to be his by default. But and they had a uh, Percy Harvin towards the end of his career, right. right? But he's never had like a true number one. Could Josh Gordon reclaim the old magic from Cleveland? I mean, I thought he looked good when he was thing with is, the Pats. The thing is, is he said when he was in New England, he doesn't want to be the number one guy anymore. Right. That, so that's that thing. That's the only thing that you got to be a little worried about signing him. But it's a low risk, high reward. Yeah. I mean, you got nothing to lose when you when you claim him off waivers. Right. Yeah. So for Seattle to make you know an offensive move and come back and scrap like this, truly impressive. Yeah. Not as impressive as Baltimore pulling off the upset 
and dare I say, making a statement win? No, you'd have to say so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to dig at your pats. No, it's fine. I'm I'm not, but. You have to look at the score, 37-20. to 20. Better to take the loss now than in the Super Bowl, because Lord knows I can't take that for a third time. No, but you have to look at what Baltimore has been doing. And no, like yeah. I said, I, mean, I took this as my leap last week. And for the or AFC North, like we said, Seattle or um, Pittsburgh is coming along. Mm-hmm. But really, they don't have to worry about them. Cleveland is a sinking ship. Cincinnati is holding up the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so for Baltimore, they need to say, okay, what are we going to stand out? Are we going to be the one of the elite teams in the AFC, or are we just going to be enough to win the division? Right. Taking it to the Patriots, who we say you have to play perfect football to beat them and give the Devils their due. Yeah. You have to. They did, to take a look for the most part. I mean, For the most uh, part. I mean, the thing with the Patriots, and you can even look back to the game against Cleveland where, okay, yes, it was a defensive masterpiece from Belichick, you know, three turnovers and three plays. Which Belichick? Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, the thing of it is, though, is Nick Chubb ran all over that defense. You look at this game, okay, Lamar Jackson, 17 of 23 for 163 yards passing, one touchdown. You know, their leading receiver was Marquise Brown, who had three catches on 48 yards. Running game, though, Mark Ingram had uh, 15 carries for 115 yards. Lamar Jackson himself had 16 carries for 61 yards. Run on that defense, you're going to have a lot of success. Here's This is the thing, and this is what drives me nuts, because every year we do this. The Patriots start out X and zero with no losses, mm. and every year a team beats them. And every year it's the, the blueprint is out. We know how to beat the Patriots. Mm-hmm. You need to run the ball, and you need to blitz Tom Brady. That blueprint was already done two times yep. by the a shell of themselves, New York Giants. Mm-hmm. They the blueprints there. You already know Ahmad Bradshaw and that running back core back then tore the Patriots apart. I'm that, trying to recall this, but my mind's blanking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let me remind you. Let me rehash this real quick. Give me, yeah, give me some positivity here to before we talk about the Giants. They they gashed them on the run, and I mean to the point where. The play action was there, and that's how you beat the Patriots. Because if you just straight in like uh, like Cleveland did last week, when you try to pass the ball on this team, and they know the pass is coming, it's not going to work because that secondary is too good, and that front four or front three is too good. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get passes off against them. No. But when you get the run established, you can set up play action. That's when you can send this team into a bit of a flux. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it's the, t- the a tale as old as time. You press Tom Brady, you get in his face, and you hit him. And not to say that he folds, but things start to go wrong for him, and it's a little bit of quicksand, like in the mm-hmm. replacements. Mm-hmm. Things start adding up. Now, I don't understand why more teams don't do this. But Baltimore executed it flawlessly. I mean, the only thing I can think of is just with other teams not being able to follow this is just they they're overthinking it. That because exactly, it's the mystique, it's the aura, it's the oh my gosh, we got a plan for X, Y, Z, one, two, and three. When realistically, all you got to plan for is X and one. All you need to do is put pressure on Tom Brady and control the ball on the clock. Yeah. That is how you beat the Patriots. You keep their offense off the field. Now, Grant, mind you, though, you have to get the run game going. It oh, can't yeah. just be one. You know, first first and ten, you get two yards, and then it's second and ten or second and eight, and then you get one yard. So now you're third and seven. Mm. You can't do that. They know the pass is coming. You have to get at least four to six yards on first down. Yeah, and then you have to get another two to four to either convert it on the run or to get it enough so it's third and one, and now they don't know what's coming. Yeah, but. 
Yeah, I mean, but Baltimore, I mean, and I can't speak enough of this team. I loved what they did with Lamar Jackson. I think they might have shown a little too much. I was just yeah. going to touch upon that. Be. Because they were running a lot of sets that we hadn't seen yet with the full house backfield out of the pistol, um, the the read options that you know hadn't been seen yet. And to pay the Patriots' credit, they probably held back a little bit too. Bill Belichick is a. I'm not to say that he lost this game on purpose, but this man knows that he's going to see this team in the playoffs. It's one thing to deal with the Patriots and to go, you know, next level thinking like that, right? And right, I've, but I've, that's their psychology. I though. agree with you. No, I I fully agree because one takeaway from this game, I thought, is Belichick pulled back a little bit because he wanted to see what the whole hand was going to be mm-hmm. that Baltimore was showing. That and I thought they did that flawlessly. Take nothing away from Baltimore's win. They did what they had to do. Sure. It was a a great win. I'm not faulting them one bit. They took advantage of turnovers. I mean, the Julian Edelman fumble was a huge game changer. So Baltimore did what they needed. And their defense played well, which had not going into this game. But this is also due to the Baltimore coaching staff because no matter how the Ravens have been, they always step up for the Patriots. They, that's true. Always. Well, step up. Ed Reed getting into the Hall uh, Ring of Fame also helped too. Oh, I'm sure they came in fully motivated and ready to make a statement in their well, own. So, uh, we haven't seen video, but I'm you know willing to bet money that uh, Ray Lewis was in that locker room pregame. Oh, for oh, sure, absolutely. No, they they came out <laughs> for swinging. sure. They had a little energy to them that we hadn't seen prior, but. Baltimore is coming along at the right time. I do agree with you, Coach. I thought they showed too much. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing I was slightly worried about. So when they meet again later in the road, because you have to think Baltimore is going to be in that upper echelon yeah. for playoff teams no, down, yeah. down yeah. the season. If Baltimore showed too much, they're going to have to reinvent the wheel. To beat Belichick, you're going to have to show something else that he I hasn't was, seen. As a young, growing up, you know, there was always told and instilled to me, Beating a team twice is hard. Mm-hmm. Beating a team three times is impossible. Yeah, beating a Belichick team twice is impossible. Beating them a third time is just forget it. So I mean, yeah, to them for them to show everything with the read options, the triple options, the straight speed options. Now to go into the AFC Championship game where all things considered, are probably going to be in New England. Mm-hmm. That is a big cause for concern if I'm a Baltimore fan because. You showed everything. There isn't anything else that you now are not going to show them that Belichick, given the fact that they're going to have a first-round bye, they're going to be able to watch your game, whoever you're playing, and then prepare for you in the AFC championship game. This is where Harbaugh and Co. is going to really have to come up with something. That is the type of game then when Harbaugh, you know, that they go back and they say, remember the Week 8 performance when uh, Baltimore spanked them? Yeah, well, Belichick remembers that too. So as the saying goes, they're going to have to deep dig into the playbook, you know, like page 140. Oh, yeah, they're going to have to do it because obviously with Belichick, with the pedigree he has, he's going to remember this loss. He's going to know, okay, what happened, what, what, what went wrong. And he's going to come out with a whole new game plan that Harbaugh and company are not going to be ready for. Not at all. The question is going to be, how can Lamar Jackson and company adapt to it on the field? Because you can call the plays you want from the sidelines. But when you get on the field, you're going to have to make those adjustments. And you're going to try telling me that Belichick is going to have brand new schemes ready to rock and roll for the playoffs. I mean, this I don't want to say there's anything like a good loss, but this was a good loss for the Patriots. Because you really saw what an opponent has you really are going to have to make some adjustments to face them down the road. And honestly, this season, have they really faced a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson? No. There no. isn't one. No. Exactly. There isn't one. So this was a good test to see, okay, what they need to improve on. Yeah, you can't you can't prepare for it. It's like when Notre Dame goes into and plays Navy every year, they don't see that offense every year. So, like, 
everybody gets up in arms when Navy starts, you know, and the Michigan game, when Navy played Michigan this year and almost won, that when you see an offense for the first time that you don't see on a regular basis, it throws off your schemes and it throws off what you do defensively. Mm. So now when you go into this game and now you're prepared and you know what you're looking for and you can devise schemes to, okay, we know that we need to have, you know, whoever the starting linebacker is for the Patriot, you know, we need him to spy, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson on second and nine because we know that a read option's coming. Now you know and you're devising a scheme for it, so when you see the looks and you see that pistol set, you know, boom. You you know what's coming and you know it's going to be something you're going to have to deal exactly. with. Exactly. And for Baltimore, a lot of promise and a lot of good things to take away, but you're going to have to reinvent the wheel. For New England, it's not back to the drawing board. It's on not, to the well, next game. Not at, If any New England fan was panicked, it's like, calm down. I literally walked away from this game saying that's a good win for Baltimore and a good loss for New England. Yeah, that's that's the way it should be taken. Because I don't see the Patriots going on a downward slide, even though no. I would love to see it as a Bills fan. But it's not, <laughs> it's not going to happen. There was probably no man calmer than Belichick after that game. Yeah, he was nobody because like, he's been here before. He's not going to panic. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show the structure of leadership they have with the Patriots. They're not going to break. This will be a this will be a bruise, but it'll fade. And they'll just go on to the next game. They don't have anything to worry about, per se. That being said, I'm going to kind of skip through your locks and leaps very quick, Coach, because I want to get that Giants taken. Well, I'll just, I mean, I took the Lions that lost. Great. Mm -hmm. And nobody circles the wagons like the Bills can. All right? We know. We know. I I thank you for starting a new tradition. Yes. All right. So, so, Giants, Cowboys, let's break it down. Do you want to give the disclaimer, Ken? Or a pad, whoever wants to. Uh, I'll leave this one for Ken. Uh, the thoughts, views, and opinions of that of Coach Duffy about the New York football giants are that of Coach Duffy and do not represent the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour in any way, shape, or form. Listener discretion is advised. Pat Schumer sucks. He is brutal. I mean, Od- uh, first off, I mean Odell Beckham. I don't even know where that's coming from. Saquon Barkley, arguably the best running back in the NFL right now. Arguably. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still kind of lean Zeke right now, and Le'Veon I still think is very talented, but Saquon Barkley is right there. A generational talent, regardless. We can all agree on that, I assume? Yeah, yeah I'll give okay. you. 20 touches. 20. And four of those were goal line carries. So you're giving one of the most explosive and dynamic players in the wide open field, you're giving him four carries on the goal line. And that's four of his twenty touches. I have a new I have a new thing with Schumer. When his halftime speech and when he gives that to whoever's covering the game and his the words come out of his mouth, and I'm gonna give it to you in a second, this should be a cause for concern. <clears throat> we need to get Saquon involved in the second half. Read that between the lines, that means that they're taking Saquon out of the game because they don't use him when he says that. They do the opposite. It's like they think that the people are listening and they're like, oh, the Cowboys just heard they're going to get Saquon involved. We better clear, you know, we better key on him every play. No, 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 no. They don't use him at all. He's non-existent. I mean, he had one screen pass for 60 yards. Hello, McFly. Like, that's what you should be doing with him. And then literally, and I'm watching this game, and I'm sitting there with my, my wife, who is an Ohio State fan, loves Ezekiel Elliott, so she loves watching the Cowboys and, and Ezekiel play. I was a big Clinton Portis guy back in the day, so I can understand rooting for another team in the division's running backs. And she's sitting there, and she, you know, she loves to watch Zeke play, and I'm like watching how they use Zeke. And I'm like, the Giants should be doing that the same thing. They should be utilizing Saquon Barkley the same way that Ezekiel Elliott's used. 
And I understand that the offensive line's not the same. I mean, the Cowboys has the high, the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. The Giants have the worst offensive line. You, you know, the thief that is Soldier on the left side, blindsiding the Giants, robbing them blind of a paycheck doesn't help anything. But, I mean, you still can use Saquon Barkley in the point that he can get more than 20 touches a game. It's mind-boggling and then you finally have the defense play well you finally have the defense play well and you cause two turnovers in the red zone and you get six points six points off of two turnovers in the red zone i i just don't it's so frustrating because you literally the nfc east is a dumpster fire Mm -hmm. We, we think cleveland's bad the whole entire nfc east is trash Trash. None of the teams should even make the playoffs. They don't even deserve to have an NFC East representative because they're garbage. The fact that an NFC East team is going to be the four seed and have a home field advantage in one of the first round of the playoffs is a travesty. But here we are, and you are sitting here two and five, and you're two games out of first place. Two and five, and you're first out of you're two games out, and you put up this performance on on Monday Night Football, which. Granted to Dallas, they held in there, and they were down. They came back to win. Kudos to you. But, my God, Pat Schumer is terrible. It's it's not even to the point where it's like, all right, this. I mean, they need a whole new – it's from top to bottom, but the coaching is awful. I, I understand that they're going to key on Saquon Barkley. I get that. But you have to get him more – when Detroit played with Barry Sanders, didn't don't you think that people knew that Barry Sanders was going to get the ball? Mm-hmm. Especially when Scott Mitchell. Oh God. Everybody remember Scott Mitchell was the quarterback? Oh, man, throw it back. Don't you think that they were like, I don't think we need to worry about stopping Scott Mitchell. We should probably key on that Barry Sanders guy. But what did Barry Sanders still do? He still ran. Tore up the NFL. It. I don't get it. I just don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. For what it's worth, uh, through six games now, granted, Saquon did miss three games. Sure. Uh, he has uh, 88 attempts, oh. 401 yards, two touchdowns. And that's just I, the touchdown thing. I don't. I is whatever because I mean, when they get to the goal line, teams are just stuffing the box and he can't get room to run because the offensive line's so bad. But when you are in wide open space, he can make anybody miss a tackle. He's you've seen that. He literally in a preseason game jumped over a man who was still standing and still broke two more tackles after that in the middle of the field. So the man can do anything. There is no limitation on what he can do. I just don't understand. I don't get it. And I mean, listen, Daniel Jones is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. You <laughs> My god, like the shrine has come down. You yeah, I mean, reality has set in New York Giants fans. Kyler Murray is playing a hell of great football with a much worse team than what Saquon than what Daniel Jones has. Daniel Jones is surrounded by Evan Ingram, who is a all pro talent at tight end, Golden Tate, who had a hell of a catch, Saquon Barkley, and Sterling Shepard when he's healthy, which unfortunately right now concussion syndrome is setting in, so it's a scary thing for him. But a great talent, enough to make a playoff run minus the offensive line, and. He is second in the NFL in turnovers right now. Yeah. And he's missed two games. That is you, literally, and he's making the same 
effing mistakes that Eli Manning had. And what is everybody? It, the, the 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 it's oh well the offensive line's terrible. No shit, the offensive line's the same offensive line it was in week one and week two. I'll say I'm not a Giants fan, but I've been hearing Giants fans complain about oh. the offensive line for like the last three years. Well, yeah, it's been that bad. You but know, no. I, I get Eli's bad, but. <laughs> I'd, I'd shore up the offensive line before I'd worry about a new quarterback. One would think, right? Hashtag Flowers Power. I mean, hell, he's playing pretty good at right guard for Washington right now. I don't know. You saw him in that Bills game. He's not playing bad. He's not playing that bad. But to sum it up for the Giants, though, it's it's bad. It's just it's, it's abysmal. It's, it's, it's as, bad. As a, it's not New York Jets losing to Miami bad, but I mean, it's it, close. It, it's goddamn close. As a man once said, it's terrible. Listen, they Horrible. still have to play Miami. Yeah. That that is a cause for concern. I mean, so I'll be I'm I'm fortunate enough right now I'm going to be at the Jets Giants game this weekend. Um I I'm very concerned that the Jets are going to win this game. And I'm <laughs> It's it's sad. I mean, it's a sad time for New York football because I mean, all credit to Buffalo. They are definitely a superior team in all shapes, ways and forms in New York and I I mean I know I none of you guys got to say anything, but it's just it's insane to me that when you're sitting here and you're talking about the fact that Saquon Barkley is getting 20 touches a game, and you have a rookie quarterback dropping back 43 times, and he has as many turnovers as he has, and it's just well, it is what it is. He's yeah. a rookie quarterback. That is unacceptable. I grew up in the 90s. I saw the Giants when they were at their rock bottom with David Brown. Mm-hmm. You cannot just sit here and say, well, he's learning because you did not give Eli that same time. And you're not in the fact that people are accepting losing in for Giants football. It's like, wake up, people. The team was just in the playoffs four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the window is closing. I'll admit, oh. with, with the with the current team they have, and they have to have that sense of urgency. The Giants haven't shown that, and that's no. the, and that's the biggest issue that you have. Saquon, who is a generational talent, he's he's proven it thus far. They're not utilizing him to his full advantage. Schumer obviously has kind of lost the team, in, in my opinion. That, oh man, I mean, right now he he's McAdoo 2.0. Yeah. And yeah. I never saw that. I never saw this yeah. coming because when you're letting da- Dak Prescott go for two fifty seven three touchdowns, Elliott's running for a buck thirty nine. But Co- that's a tur- got But then there's an interception in there, right? And a fumble off of uh, uh, Ron Cobb. So the defense played well. Yeah. The, de- the defense played well. But when you're making those turnovers and you're not capitalizing on, yeah. I mean, in comparison, Daniel Jones, you know, two ten and a touchdown, but an interception. And Saquon, I mean, like I said, 28 yards rushing, but Daniel Jones, when he's your, your leading rusher that game for 54 <laughs> His, yards, I mean, that, that says it that says it all. Daniel the, Jones wasn't the leading rusher that cat was. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, the, that cat is currently. It's all the cat's fault, by the way. But, no, seriously, I mean, when you when you get that interception, the first play is a handoff left and then a handoff right. What do you think Dallas is looking for next? You know, They know you're passing the ball. Yeah. And it's just that is stupid. That is stupid coaching. I anybody could have said play action would have been there, you know, off of that first down look, and then run the second down, and then throw the third down. That's just I just his inability to create things to get people open. I mean, and it was the same problem last year with Odell Beckham. And my God, I mean, could you imagine this team right now? I just Daniel Jones is not the answer. He's definitely not. So. That is no. that is where I will leave that. And I feel better. And listen, Giants fans, come like talk to interact with me on this. Like yeah. talk to me. It's a safe place. Pad and Ken give me this time because 
I mean, they they know the frustration. I mean, Pad doesn't because the Patriots have been good since he was in diapers. But Ken, you've been no, there. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, I have I'm been here young. with you. So you, that's why you've I'm been there. You, you, vent, my you know this. And I mean, guys, talk to me. I will. I will love to interact with you. And if you and if you want to argue that Daniel Jones is the savior, even though he's not, and it's very clear because he is what he is—a guy who was a sub quarterback in college and a reach at six. Talk to me about it because I'll tell you why you're wrong. So let's end it on that note, shall we? Sure. We'll, we'll put Coach, Coach Duffy's Twitter on there along with hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation. You can find our social media accounts on OchoDoroParleyHour.com. Trust me, you post something to Coach Duffy, he will answer you. It's a safe place, guys. It's, it's a safe, safe place. He likes debating about football, and he will talk New York Giants football with you. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. He'll definitely do it. But hit us up. Let us know what your thoughts were about this past week of football. A lot of stories going on with the NFL, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH, and we have to talk some UFC action. Mm-hmm. UFC 244 came and went this past weekend. We hung out with the, our fellow Hashtag 607 Podcast brother in the Three Fat Nerds, uh, and actually uh, Lamar Hawkins yeah. from Excite Wrestling swung through, yes. too. So shout out to everybody who came through for the fights. The dog actually made a rare appearance as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, big fights drawn, a big crowd out, and UFC 244 definitely delivered on the hype. Yeah. Albeit, though... It delivered, lot, although I'm not sure delivered on the hype is quite the phrase for it. A lot of controversy going in. I mean, our one... You know, the night was kind of set off by Johnny Walker getting knocked out no. by TKO'd. First round, uh, two minutes and seven seconds in. Say it isn't so. I know. Uh-huh. The franchise went down. Uh, Caught he, him. Yeah, he got stopped by Corey Anderson. Caught uh, him. Uh, like, we kind of knew something was going to be up that night. Because, I mean, obviously when he got slowed up. Well, you you know something's going to be up because, for me, the tele- with how a card, be it a, a pay-per-view card, ESPN card, ESPN Plus card, you know, what have you, is going to be, all right, how's the prelims going? If it's a mix of, like, decisions and submissions and knockouts, I'm like, all right, it's going to be a good, it's, could, could, could be a good night. If it's all decisions, we're going to be here for a long night. Something was up with this on the prelim card where every fight on the prelim card was a knockout. Yeah, so obviously going into this pretty hyped up. Going into the main card, we'll kind of give you a little, you know, quick recap of each one. Kevin Lee knocked off Gregor Gillespie. So he took his soul. Vicious knockout. Ah. Vicious head kick. Took him out. Find the highlight. It's worth the watch. Yeah. Uh, devastating knockout. Lee looked great as his return to lightweight. Heavyweight, Derek Lewis pulled off the upset over Blagov Ivanov. Uh-huh. Uh, decision. I agreed with the decision. Split decision. I had no problem with this. Yeah, the split decision. I thought Lewis pressured the pace a little yeah. bit more. In the welterweight ballot between St- Stephen Thompson against Vince Luque, uh, Thompson looked good and unanimous decision. N- unanimous decision. He he looked like you know, Wonder Boy returned and. I say I don't necessarily agree with the one judge though who had it twenty nine twenty seven. Yeah, I didn't understand that. 30, 30 26, please. No, but like I said, Wonder Boy looked back to form. Yeah, it looked great. Yeah, and in the co-main event. Calvin Gastelum lost to Darren Till by mm-hmm. decision. Split decision. Split decision. Uh, 
you know, you can say what you will. I, I wasn't really impressed by this one. I no. would say this probably was the worst fight for me on the card. Yeah, I mean, out of the bunch of them, you know, I didn't enjoy all of them. But this one, if you're, like, asking me to rank them, it's probably at the bottom. Yeah, so obviously Till pulled off the big win at middleweight where he goes from here. I know he's already started calling out names. Yeah. Uh, wait and see. Yeah. That, that's what I say about this one. But let us get to the main event and the controversy involved with it. A little bit of controversy. For the baddest motherfucker belt. Mm-hmm. If this is a real thing, I don't know moving forward. The Rock had a championship belt. Yep. Came out. Carried it old school style, old baby. School. Yeah. I mean, from old the school. weigh-ins when he decided to cut an old school rock promo. Yeah. Came out, with, came out to his theme song. Yeah, or his entrance music. Obviously, there's been so much hype involved with this. <clears throat> Nate Diaz has become a, a brand new star in the UFC, uh, transcending from where he was before. We talked about this last episode. To sum up, like that, he is now one of the biggest names in all of MMA. is yeah. is crazy to see just how rapid this has risen. I mean, from pushing Usada to make his uh, drug test, you know, get reviewed and, right. and eventually cleared. Right. I mean, it's kind of wild just to see how he's now set the precedent moving forward. Take nothing away from his opponent, Jorge Masvidal, uh, who has been on a roll lately. Ooh. This has been the fight the fans have wanted. This was what we expected, I would say, for the most part. Yeah. But what happened for the decision? Uh, it was a TKO by Dr. Stoppage. Yes. So, Coach, let me ask you this. If you were fighting for a belt... That is the BMF belt. Do you want this stopped on a doctor's? Oh, hell no. Hell no. I wouldn't want it stopped on regardless of situation. I mean, unless, like, the cut is so severe to the point that it's impairing my... uh, Unless it's so bad that it's impairing my ability to fight and see, you know... I probably still, as a fighter, would not want the fight to stop, but I would respect the, the doctor's request in order to do that because, I mean, that is their job at the end of the day to put the fighter's safety first. But, I mean, as a fighter, hell no. I mean, for me, it, it would come down to this. Is this going to be a threat to my long-term health? Mm-hmm. Is this something that, you know, should the fight continue, I will lose vision in my one eye? And if that's the case... And, and here's the thing. We don't know why the doctor stopped this fight, or at least I haven't read anything quote-wise about why the doctor stopped this fight. The only thing I've read quote-wise from the doctor who stopped this fight was that folks are threatening him. And that's ridiculous. Threatening him, the the practice he works at, and his immediate family are receiving death threats from people over this, which I, if you're doing that, stop. Yeah, if you're doing that, stop. Stop. That That is ridiculous. Like, listen. You have bad calls all the time yeah. in sports, from yeah. referees to judges, whatever. Taking it to that extreme, above and beyond the call of duty, and and honestly, you should not be considering yourself a sports fan if, if you're doing that kind of threatening a man's livelihood and family and all that jazz. Yeah, that that is above and beyond the call. But but to get back to the point, if 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 the cut injury, whatever it is, is an immediate threat to my long term health, why with with Nate Diaz, it was a cut above the eye. If that cut was bad enough that they go, all right, listen, if you keep going and he keeps hitting you there, you will lose vision in your eye. Okay, fine. I get that. But if it's something that I got to sit in a, in a hospital or the trainer's room or wherever it is they apply stitches in uh, arenas, and I got to get a couple extra stitches, I'm fine with that. Let it keep going. So before I get on my take, so did you agree with the stoppage or no? No, I didn't agree with it at all. Same. Okay. I definitely did not agree with the stoppage, and I will break it down like this. For the first three rounds, Masvidal imposes will. And 
I thought he looked great. His striking was on point, snuck in a couple nasty elbows. Nate was hanging in there, and Nate was doing what Nate does, and that's scrap. Nate bleeds during a lot of fights. If you go through his history of fights, if Nate Diaz doesn't bleed in a fight, it's not a Nate Diaz fight. The same thing happens with Nick. This is how they are. This is nothing to take away. This is part of the mystique of why they have the following they do. You know when you see their names on the marquee, you're going to see a fight. You're not going to see a grappling match. Mm -hmm. You're not going to see, for the most part, a submission battle, even though they can definitely go to the ground with their jujitsu skills. This was going to be a fight to say who is the BMF. Masvidal was winning this fight, and did he open up a cut that it looked like the same cut that Nate suffered when he was fighting Anthony Pettis. I'll say I would put Nate Nick in the same conversation as Joe Lozon. Like if they're fighting, there's going to be blood in some fashion. Absolutely. So did I think this cut was warranting the stoppage? No, in my opinion, I don't think it was. So we've seen worse. We've definitely. I mean, seen I, I, worse. I mean, I remember. I think it was Brock's last UFC fight before he retired and before he came back at UFC 200 where he took a cut so bad you saw his cheekbone on the slow-motion replay. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the discretion of the athletic commission you're fighting in. And obviously, this one is being a lot of controversy around it. I understand the controversy because of how it ended, and obviously the cut is bad. It's not to say that it was a little scratch that dripped a couple drops. No, this was a nasty cut, and there's nothing away from it. But to see this fight get stopped on that note is a very, I want to say deterrent. I don't want to say black eye on the sport because I don't think it's the right word. No, it's not a good look. It's not a good look, and especially for the UFC's 500th live event, as this was in Madison Square Garden. The hype was there. To see it end like this, really not agreeing with, I get the doctor stoppage. And if you really are that worried about the the fighter losing his eye, which apparently was, I mean, that, that is what it is. I understand it. I don't agree with it. And then moving forward with this, Masvidal gets awarded the belt. Nate immediately wants to run it back. Yeah. Masvidal wants to run it back. Or Masvidal is calling out a couple of different fighters, but he has, he's earned the right. You sure. Win, you win the fight. And albeit, Nate needed to pull off a hell of a knockout or submission in those fourth and fifth rounds to pull off the win. Because I'm sorry, how I scored it, Masvidal won that fight. So there really isn't oh, yeah. a question about yeah. it. But let me ask the panel this, starting with Coach. Do you think they need to have an immediate rematch? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that they've already, both fighters have said they're in for it, right? Yeah, no, both fighters said immediately after the fight when Joe Rogan went to interview him, you know, hey, listen, we both hate how this ended. Let's run it back. But the only thing is Dana White has said that he's not interested in doing an immediate rematch. Oh, okay. Yeah, we I've seen a, a couple, I've, I've seen a couple different reports saying that like yeah. he understands the doctor stoppage and really wasn't like excited about doing one. I think in this situation you need to. Yeah. I don't think you can have this fight end like <clears throat> that. And like I said Dana could change his mind from like I said I, I did read a couple different reports so the consensus was that he agreed with the stoppage. Like he he understood it. He wasn't w- a fan of it. I would agree with Dana if the doctor stopped it late in the 4th early in the fifth round and i'd be like okay yeah no there's no reason to run this back and and if let's just say in this hypothetical scenario masvidal was continuing to win that at this point if we're early in the fifth round you know masvidal's up four rounds to nothing i would agree with dan and go why do we need to do this again masvidal won the first four rounds unless you know 
Diaz pulled off an act of God and, and somehow knocked, you know, Jorge out by some miracle, you know, there'd be there'd no reason to run it back. But that's not what happened. We're sitting here, you know, in the third round. So 15 minutes had gone by. There was still another 10 on the docket. There's still time. Like, I I feel like there's no closure with this. Like, okay, yes, Jorge Masvidal has the title. Asterisk. There was a doctor stoppage. Well, that's going to be the problem with this moving forward. I mean, depending on what they want to call this, I mean, is it now an actual title belt? No, or, I, you I see, mean, I this think, is for show. I think it's a for show, and I could very well see it being a one-time deal. I could also just see it being a fun thing that, like, okay, whoever Jorge Masvidal goes off up against and fights, if they're fortunate enough to beat him out, okay, here you go, here's the belt. Now, you, you know, it's just something for fun. Yeah, this is one of those situations that, they now have to figure out, okay, what's next for everybody. I could also see it being like the Andre the Giant Memorial uh, Trophy they parade out every year for WWE, where like you see it for you know a month and then nah, forget about it. Yeah, this could be something to say, okay, this is good for title, but you're not going to be defending each round and or each fight moving forward. Obviously, you shouldn't because for me, Masvidal has a couple different options I'm going to throw out there. One, he is now legitimately the number one contender at 170. Oh, yeah. No question. Yeah. You, you can't tell me otherwise. So he gets the winner of Usman and Colby Covington mm-hmm. if he wants to wait that long. I think he's earned it. I don't have any issue with it. The other one which I'll throw out to the panel, and Coach, I know that you have got some opinions on this one. Masvidal, Conor McGregor. Yeah, I thought – um, Azival looked uh, was chirping a little bit in the uh, presser. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. I mean, I kind of think that yeah, I, I Connor obviously is looking set to return back to the octagon at some point here. So I mean, I, I honestly to see him just fight anybody at this point would be cool. I don't really care who it is. I would personally be a little afraid if I was Connor to be stepping in the first fight mm-hmm. with Mazdevol, just yeah. the way that he is yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean the guy's you know fire right now. He's Hansel, he's so hot right now. I mean, he's uh, a tough fight, so I wouldn't necessarily want that to be my first fight back. No, but yeah. it would, it, the buy rates would be insane. I, if I'm Connor, I'd be all for it, just because the buy, like Coach said, the buy rates would be insane. But I'm with Coach. The only if I'm Connor, the only thing would be ah, I'm not opposed to it. Let me get a tune-up fight in there with like some schmuck who I <laughs> you know I can beat you know. But let's be honest. My stock has fallen in the UFC. You know, my ranking has fallen in the UFC. I, I need to build it back up a little bit. Let me fight some schmuck that I know I can beat, and you're the next guy I face. Let me, you know, let's give me a tune-up fight. Let me just get something in, and then you're the next guy. The problem with that, which I, I understand that logic, but the problem is Connor moves the needle too much. Yeah. That to sell him on, I, I will say a tomato can fight, so to speak, is, is not really going to work. And I think for this one. It would make a lot of sense for this fight to happen. I don't personally want to see it happen, though. I would go, okay, what has Connor done to warrant a fight at 170 against Masvidal that could impact the welterweight championship picture? Uh-huh. That would be something I think me being the sport guy looking at it would have an issue with. For the entertainment value, yeah, it's box office. It'll sell. But this is the other f- scenario I'll throw at you. Masvidal gets the number one contendership sure. and let him and keep him in that because I think that that would make a lot more sense. For Nate Diaz, who, if he doesn't get this rematch, I'm guessing is going to disappear again. Probably. And rightfully so because he's now almost warranted he gets to call his own shots. And like I said, how he has transcended where he was in the UFC about a year ago to where he is now, 
he's almost forcing the needle to move. Yeah. So if he does that, if I'm Nate, I'm saying, why don't you give me Connor for round three? Sure. Let's do that. And that's box office right there. That sells itself. That would make a lot of sense. Or the dream fight I'd love to see is Nick Diaz versus Connor McGregor. You want to talk about BMFs? Put Nick in there against him and watch what happens. I think that that would make a lot more sense. But moving forward with it, Masvidal's star rose very high. You have to say he's an emerging star in the UFC. But if you've been following MMA for a while, you know who he is. He's, he's done nothing new to really you know, capture any attention other than he's finally been in a profile that can really showcase his skills and showcase his personality and really is established that he is the BMF right now. I mean, I'm not opposed to the Nick Diaz thing, but I was just curious. I looked it up. I'm not opposed to Nick Diaz thing, but he last fought in the UFC four years ago when he fought Anderson Silva, and that was the overturn fight because Silva tested positive and so did uh, Nick. You know what? I don't think it would matter, though, against Connor. You give him enough time to get ready for it, I think that makes a lot of sense because you realistically look at this now, and Coach, let me get your opinion. Connor last fought against Habib. Hasn't mm-hmm. fought since. Sure. Yep. What really warrants him to get a title contender per se at either 155 or 170 right now? I mean, you got to fight somebody who. Uh, I mean, you got to fight somebody who's in the top five yeah. for sure off the bat. And I, I, to me, it would have to be a dominating performance. Like he would have to come out and just put on an absolute clinic. It doesn't need to be a first round TKO, but it's got to be a fight where it's convincing enough to say that's the Connor Bolt. Did they pull the belt off of him before or after the Habib fight? Um, before, I thought. Okay. I yeah, yeah, I guess during, yeah, it was during okay. promotional stuff for the okay. for I, the. I couldn't remember. I, you know, I, I get Connor moves the needle, and yeah, he's great for, you know, buy rates and everything financially for the UFC, but he hasn't done anything outside of yeah. outside of out the outside the octagon nonsense, which, I mean, Google it and click on news. You can see what yeah. I'm talking about. He hasn't done anything. I, you know, this isn't, you know, professional wrestling or whatever where it's, oh, I never lost the title. I need my title shot. Like, no, like this is an actual competitive sport. You got to prove something to say, hey, I'm worth a shot at the title. Yeah, that's, what has he done? Nothing. That's and, that's the thing. It's the legitimacy of the UFC that wouldn't just give a guy a title fight just for the sake of buy rates. And I'm sorry, launching a whiskey blind, you know, isn't worth, you know, a, a title shot. No, I, and I fully agree with you, and that's why I think if he's going to come back, he doesn't get to call his shot on this one. I think you either give him Justin Gaethje at 155, or you put him in the super fight against Nate Diaz. If he wins there, and let's say he wins decisively, okay, then you can start talking about if he wants to go into title contention at either 155 or 170. But for a fighter who's had one UFC fight in the past two years because mm-hmm. he's been too busy boxing. Boxing and setting up his his, his business ventures. Yeah. Like, how are you going to justify that? Yeah. I mean, you can't. It's just, it's tough because that's the thing that I think is the credit to UFC is that when they do put guys in title fights, I mean, Albeit whether, you know, if uh, if a division's depleted or not, then sometimes, you know, you might see a guy slide in who, you know, like the light heavyweight situation, you know, doesn't necessarily crack the, you know, the um, enough, be high enough for to earn a title fight. But because the division's so p- depleted and they need to get a title fight in, you know, they'll give a guy a shot. Uh, though, on the opposite end of that, though, when a division's loaded, it's like you can't just because you are who you are title get a title shot like you actually have to earn your way into that ranking to get it and here's the thing with connor okay yes he moves the needle okay yes he he you know boosts puts 
booster rockets from you know the old Mercury NASA rockets on pay per view buy rates when he's on the card. Would a card with him versus you know uh, Jorge Masvidal be massive buys? Yes, duh. But to be honest, any fight card he's on will be huge buy rates because all you have to market this as, even if it's not against Jorge Masvidal or some big name, it's just, you know, some middle card guy or some guy who's on the cusp of being in a title contention. But, ah, you know what? He just needs that one more fight. You market as Conor McGregor's back. You are getting every casual fan, every fan who doesn't even know what the heck the sport is, but they know the name and they want to see who it is buying that card. Yeah, especially if you got, even if you put it on pay-per-view or not. I mean, yeah. if you get, if you put him in, a fight situation where there's press and everything and the other guy can chirp back and now it's the two of them bickering back and forth. Yeah. It's always, you know, I mean, he's a hell of a promoter. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the one thing, even at this stage of his career right now, given the fact that he hasn't fought for a year and, you know, has been in and out of trouble, the guy still knows how to promote himself. Mm-hmm. And that helps him make anybody go further in the sport. Exactly. It is what it is. But for him, his future's up in the air. And for Diaz, I, I sense the same thing. Because I think that now, if he doesn't get this immediate rematch, he's gone. He's going to disappear. And I think the only fight that gets him back other than Masvidal is Connor. I do got to give a shout-out to Nick Diaz. I'm looking at his record here. Check out this stretch at the end of his um, UFC career as we sit here recording. Uh, BJ Penn, Carlos Condit, George St. Pierre, and Anderson Silva all in a row. My God. That's the, that's the thing, though, is I, I like you almost feel like Diaz just – they, they don't care. You no. know, they have their other stuff going on that, you know, he's almost like a uh, that nostalgia fighter, you yeah. know, for that old school UFC yeah, fan maybe. who still has. So that's why, like, when you read off that those names, it's like he's that guy that you can stick into any fight because his style mixes with everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Nick will scrap with anybody. Right. I mean, Nick is, yeah, like you touched upon, he's an old school fighter that fans gravitate towards because when you pay to see fights, you want to see fights. You're not paying to see somebody dominate and lay and pray as they term it for 25 minutes in a, on a $60, $70 pay-per-view. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You want to see a guy throw. Yeah, you want right. to see some hands get thrown. That's why I said Nick versus Connor makes a lot more sense. Nate versus Connor would make sense at this stage, and I wouldn't have an issue with it because I really struggle with just giving Connor Masvidal and have him either Masvidal runs through him, which I think he would at 170. I don't think it would be any question. Or you have... Connor just really throw a wrench into the 170 division, and then what does he go? Okay, do I get Habib and Ferguson winner after this? How do you justify jumping the line against Justin Gaethje? There's a lot more questions to get asked after UFC 244. Where does Masvidal go from here? Where does Nate Diaz go from here? And is Connor McGregor in that mix? We gave you a lot of topics to discuss. OchoDuroParleyHour.com for the social medias. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Cowman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast.
Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH. And it's been a while since we talked a little pro wrestling on here, but uh-huh. we finally have something to talk about. Do we ever? Because WWE did the smartest move they could of a bad situation. Right. This past weekend, we had NXT invade SmackDown and Raw. Uh, better invasion than when Nexus invaded uh, you Monday bite Night Raw. You bite your tongue. Uh, you bite your tongue. So let's get into that pro wrestling talk. Yeah. Coach, what was your thoughts going this weekend? Well, I mean, given the fact that obviously the the everything that went around with the the Saudi show and and all the hoopla and fanfare of that, you know, I think the biggest question was going to be what happened at SmackDown. I mean, right. everybody was like, I mean, we were texting back and forth. The internet was going like crazy. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah, they w- don't have anybody in the w- states. It was something that we as wrestling fans hadn't seen since like the early 2010s when you know there was that volcanic eruption in Iceland or whatever it was and half of the Monday Night Raw crew got stuck overseas and couldn't fly back because they'd shut down like every flight out of Europe and and you had a similar situation where whatever the heck happened over in Saudi Arabia there's a lot floating around we don't know you know so half of the roster more than half of the roster for Friday Night Smackdown is stuck over in Saudi Arabia what are you going to do and it turned into arguably one of the best SmackDown shows they've ever had. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I texted. I thought that they would utilize NXT. Oh yeah, yeah because they didn't. Have, yeah, I mean, the same thing. they they just didn't have any other options. And I mean, we all knew going into Survivor Series that it was right. going to be the three brands against each other. And I mean, they ended up setting up a walk off home run, and I yeah. mean, they knocked the show out of the park. Yeah. It was great from t- start to finish. The way that they utilized the guys, the guys that they put in to the positions that they did, whether it be, you know, the Miz, you know, going against Tommaso Ciampa, which, you know, there's already the brand with the Miz of being a quote-unquote stereotypical WWE guy, mm-hmm. Ciampa being the internet darling. So that story writes itself and, and has since, you know, his rivalry with Daniel Bryan back in the day. And then Daniel Bryan against Adam Cole. I mean, that stuff, that, that those are matches that we've been waiting a long, long, long time to see. And now here we're getting them on, you know, Fox. Oh, so yeah, Daniel Bryan, Brian versus Adam Cole is a pay-per-view worthy match. Oh my god, yeah. That's a WrestleMania match, but they gave it away for free on TV. I think this was the most brilliant, you know, quote-unquote invasion they could have done because we've seen, you know, their invasions with leading up to Survivor Series the last couple of years since the brand spill it where one show shows up on the other show and they just beat the holy hell out of each other and walk out. I mean, of course, everyone remembers last year when Becky Lynch got her nose busted up and was standing at the top of the stairs in the audience raising her fist. The night the man was born. The night but the man that was, was born. Probably the premier moment that right. they've had as far as those because those matches all turn out to be the same. It's one guy yeah. leaves, the next guy's out, yeah. and you know, Raw ultimately yeah. wins. Or yeah. you know, last year it was Shane, but and the, it was garbage. You know, but the thing with I loved with this invasion, it wasn't just NXT running in and running roughshod over everyone. And yes, there were those moments, but it was sprinkled in. It's oh, here's Shayna Baszler attacking uh, Bailey after her match is said and done with. Oh, here's Tommaso Ciampa coming out because hey, Miz has got nobody to talk to. Oh hey, Daniel Daniel Bryan wants to wrestle Triple H. Ah, I'm not going to wrestle you, but I know somebody who will. Oh, here's Adam Cole. They structured it. Very well, obviously, due to the fact that the talent was stranded from the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. Well, and the other thing I had heard was that there were travel issues for the NXT folks that they landed late in Buffalo, and the only reason they were they showed up to the arena like a half hour late, and the only reason they got there 
as, as expeditiously as they did was thanks to the police escort they had from the airport to the arena. However it got the job done, it needed to do it because they're coming off the Crown Jewel pay-per-view, mm-hmm. which was very predictable in its yeah. own right. Because, yeah. Absolute dud. Yeah, Tyson Fury won via count out, out or something. Yeah. yeah, over Braun Strowman, who's now the new Bam Bam Bigelow, in my opinion. <sighs> yeah. I'm just sorry I'm putting that out there. Hey, I said that his run was done yeah, we- and, weeks ago. Yeah, and it's, it's official now. I hate saying that, but it's true. You had Cain Velasquez get squashed by Brock Lesnar in the world's worst Kimura lock. Yeah, I'm but sorry. that was, I mean. Brock's never been able to do that. But And, and Kane needs surgery, too, from what we're hearing. Right. Well, he he already needed surgery beforehand, or at least I remember reading something about that. But, like, they, he said he was good enough to go for the match, but just, hey, I'm going to need surgery afterwards. But it sounds like it might be worse than it actually they thought. But you knew those styles were going to be an issue together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Kane needs to work with somebody, and so does Brock that can take flops and, and do the bumps. And Kane needs to work with, I think, somebody who's a little quicker. Well, it's what we've seen in triple a well and especially as you know as gifted as kane is in mma he's still green in professional wrestling right and and granted brock's not you know the greatest of all time he works guys stiff Mm. almost all the time you know not the best pairing i would say yes you know if kane was a little more seasoned had a little more experience under his belt it might have been better sure but for where they are Talent-wise now, eh, not the best. Well, it's going to come back down the road because the rematch will generate a lot more buzz. Yeah. So it, it made sense. And but you knew they were going to squash him because you knew they were going to give Brock that the win back. That, yeah. I mean, that's just that's Vince booking 101 oh, yeah. where a guy oh, yeah. gets one up on his one of his guys, and that's all that's the talk about going into a show. You know Vince is always going to give that guy his one up. Right, and to close that pay-per-view out, Bray Wyatt becomes your new world champion, defeating Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. That literally made me so angry. I just, the whole thing from the Hell in a Cell to now this, to then the follow-up on Friday night with Brock quitting, and now you know going into the show where we're all like, now they're both world titles going on SmackDown. Like, what are they going to do here? The whole thing was dumb. I, I, it was the Pat Schumer of booking wrestling. <laughs> I hated the whole the whole booking and everything with the Seth Rollins Bray Wyatt storyline because and I didn't realize this somebody retweeted on uh Monday night the Monday night raw before uh Crown Jewel that the win he had on the on the raw before Crown Jewel or was that or the week before was the first win he had on Raw in like two months because they've just been booking Bray to just be this dominant force, and understandably so. And I think anyone with a, with a half a brain could have seen Bray winning this thing because, hello, his gimmick is a scary-looking dude, and the match was on Halloween. Like, it calls itself from a, from a mile away. But then you also factor in that every time... Seth went up against him, and admittedly, it was a lot of times where it wasn't in a match. It was just running interference. Seth is never able to beat him. He might be able to, like, try to get away, but he was never able to stop him. And at that point, I'm going into this match like, he's not going to beat him. Whatever they're going to do with the Bray Wyatt gimmick moving forward, at least he got the win. And you're gonna, if you're going to push him as the supernatural being, just wait for the match against The Undertaker because that's coming. Yeah, but here's, yeah. My, here's my biggest problem with that, and it's not so much the supernatural garbage and all that stuff. It's... The fact that we just for months on Raw had to deal with not having a champion mm-hmm. and the narrative of Seth you know, being the one to slay the beast and all that stuff. So now for him to lose the title, Brock to then go on SmackDown and quit and now go to Raw, it's like 
we're right. We're rehashing the same stuff again because now the champion is on Raw that we're not going to see for months on end. And it's wicked. Just from a, a person with common sense is so stupid because now who's going to defeat the Beast again? And now they're just going to retell that storyline of yeah. the guy who, you know, and then the fans, are they're into it right now. But, you know, three months from now when Brock's not on Raw every single night, the boos are going to come out because the champion's not there. And then the storyline's going to be, the champion's not here. I need to slay the Beast. I need to return the title. I need to do this. And it's just going to be the same garbage rehash. That could be the case. I mean, let's be honest, it's more than likely going to be the case. But let's not forget, you know, we all know Brock's contract situation, and you know you got to pay him per appearance and this whole nonsense. They got a lot more money to play with these days. Well, do they though? Well, that that's it's it's <laughs> up for debate, but more or less they do. But to bring it back tenfold, though, Brock winning doesn't help anything. Nothing in him and Bray now being the champion. I mean, SmackDown is going to get pushed as the A show. Raw is now becoming the B show. But at least what they did was smart is they're injecting new life into the show. Albeit if it's going to be for a couple weeks, it's going to be for a couple weeks. But with Survivor Series coming, they pushed NXT the right way. Sure. They're showcasing what their talent is on Wednesday night because even though it's on, a lot of mainstream fans don't know who NXT is. Well, I exactly. And that's I mean, that's the one thing that it made NXT look like it was a main player mm -hmm. because the narrative has been that it's the minor league, even with Finn showing up there, you know, it was, everybody was, Oh, why would he, you know, uh, downgrade to NXT? Like, why would somebody do that? You know, when, uh, Prince Pretty and Fandango went down, it's, Oh, why would they go back down to NXT? But now the narrative of, you know, them coming back actually makes it look like a main player. And I actually, to, to the credit, though, I actually like them not using Finn in any of these yeah, uh, yeah. Mo, you know, attacks because I, I, th I like keeping him separate from all that mm -hmm. because it doesn't rehash the fact that you think that he had to go down because he couldn't play with the main players. So keeping him separate and then maybe using him come Survivor Series I think was actually probably – my takeaway, the biggest thing that they did and the smartest thing that they did. I'm already giving you a halfway spoiler. I think he gets put on Team NXT, and he turns on them to join AJ, Gallows, and Anderson. I See, what I actually think happens is he gets put on there, and I think he just walks away. Like see, I just think it's old school heel. There might be something to what you're saying, Ken, because I was listening to the WWE podcast with Corey Graves last week, and he interviewed... Uh, Triple H for one of his segments during that podcast, and and he brought up the, and the Finn going back down to NXT thing got brought up, and he, and the thing Triple H said is you might see that happen more often where you've got a guy on the main roster who they just got done with a, with a uh, you know a, a segment or a promo or something, and now they don't really know what to do with him. They got nothing for him, so he might be sitting around for the next six plus months waiting for a reset to figure out what they're going to do for next. Where Triple H might bring him in and go, hey. I got you know I got six weeks or six months to play with you. Why don't you come down? We'll work on some stuff. We'll build you up, and we'll send you back even better than you were. Well, I, that could be the case for Finn, where Creative was going. You know what? We don't know what to do with you. Come back down to NXT, build him up into something he's never been. You know, since he signed with WWE, and send him back better than he was. It's going to be interesting to see how they play that out. But for to sum up the weekend though of WWE programming, they hit a home run. Absolutely. And, and they injected new life in there. The fact that Adam Cole, which if you're Bad not eye. if you're not seeing the future is bright with him, mm -hmm. you put him in two marquee matchups, albeit though 
They had to ruin it with run-ins against South yeah. Rollins. Yeah, but that but that worked though because of what the narrative of that story right. was. No, no, I, and I I fully get that. Well, but that's, I was just, that's the undisputed era shtick, you know. Put him, and that's not which is Adam Cole. That's with any of their guys that are in a championship match. At some point, the other guys in that stable are going to come out and they're going to call run interference, whether the ref sees it or not. Yeah, but I think he really stood out. And if you don't see the future is so bright with him, it's like you got. Get your eyes checked. I'll be very interested to see what the ratings are for NXT uh, this week when after it airs, given just the amount of focus it's been given. Oh, well, you got to think that somebody from Raw or SmackDown is going to show up on there. There'll be a bump at some point. Yeah, there'll be a bump. You'll see. I'm not going to say it's going to be a game changer, but you'll see right. a bump up in ratings. But for NXT, I thought they they highlighted the right people. I thought Keith Lee stood ah, out. The fact. I, ah, I well, I mean, my problem was though is that. Like I, the thing that I, I I don't like is the consistency though because you got these guys who are now clashing with Riddle and Keith Lee who were just you know in a, in a title match against each other and you know going against Roderick Strong and, and Champa and all those things and then you book them on a SmackDown show in an invasion angle where now they're on the same team and then Wednesday is going to come up again and these guys are going to be clashing again. Well, it's always how it goes with Survivor know, Series. That's, that, it, it, well, the thing of it is, is they clashed against each other, and then the following week they tag teamed with each well, other. Well, that's what right. you're saying. That's what, yeah, that's that's what, what I'm saying. saying. Yeah. No, but it always happens with Survivor Series, so you have to suspend that belief, so to speak. But I can't do it because my common sense kicks in too it's still, much. It's still real to him, damn it. Yeah. It's, still, it's still wrestling, though. Wrestling. But to be a fan right now and enjoy this and see the, the matchups they're doing, I mean, Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch. <laughs> I'm whatever, whatever Ken. versus Bailey. Yes, whatever, Ken. Yeah, you you know I'm in the, that tag team matchup though. Uh, I well, hold on real quick though before we do anything though. I just I feel for Seth Rollins right now. Yeah, this guy just yeah. can't catch a freaking break. I said to Ken when we were watching Raw last night that you know he came out and he started cutting this pro- that promo he cut on Monday Night Raw and I go I realize that wasn't a shoot promo but the essence of it was. But I mean it's yeah it's just like this guy is. I arguably, like I said before, and when we've had you know George on the show, that he's arguably right now the Shawn Michaels of this generation because no matter what he does, he's carrying the flag and the banner, and he just constantly gets a short end of the stick. Yeah, it's and it not, sucks. It, it's not fair. No, it's not fair. But this is how the internet is. No, right? I, no, yeah. I know. I mean, I listen. I'm a big boy. I can pull up my big boy pants. I'm just saying, like, when you got a guy who busts his hump as much as this dude does, the fact that he tore both. MCL and ACL and PCL, you know, tore all three in his knee, came back on six months, which is unheard of, then re-injures it, but then still comes back in time for WrestleMania. Like, the dude's dedication and will should be, you know, given credit to and not just and I know that was years ago, but it's just like, listen, then he carried the flag and the banner and was your title you know, was the WWE champion the guy who was like, I'm going to carry the flag and the banner? And just because, like, his fiance was more over than him, like, all you guys got shit on him? I just, I don't get it. Like, it, to it's, me, it's stupid. It's the thing with wrestling fans, and I'm not crapping on anybody. It's just the way it goes. You know, he brought it up as much in the after the Bell right. podcast. Go back a year and just how popular he was and how loved he was. And flash forward to Monday night where he comes out and he starts talking about his quote unquote future and he talks about how. You know, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, beat him at, at Crown Jewel, and I know a lot of you are excited about that. And it got a pop that was akin to the rock walking into the building. Yes, Seth was at one point the hottest guy and the most popular guy and the darling of the wrestling community. And now it's the Fiend. But at some point, they're going to turn on him too. 
it happens when you are successful. People turn right. on you quick. And I think the problem was too is that he targeted some mm-hmm. of those real smarks fan, like the mm-hmm. people that the smark loves. And to his credit, though, I mean, he was just speaking his heart, and I. Good for him for speaking out because now in a, in a day and age where everybody's so, you know, scared to. scared to step on toes, he was the first one willing to do it, and he cared. And the fact that he called out a guy like Will Ospreay just because he wanted to say that he played in the major leagues, good for Seth because he does. Yeah, and I don't care that Will Ospreay is putting on great matches because he is, and at the end of the day, he's a talented wrestler. But it's not WWE, and I don't give a shit what you guys say. You come at me, I don't care. The WWE is still the main picture, regardless of what you have to say. Coach wants to smoke. <clears throat> Bring me the smoke. I'll take the smoke. Yeah, I don't care. Like he, the guy came out and he spoke his mind, and you all boohooed and cried. Yeah. yeah, deal with it. It's facts. Just like if you were in the AFL or the XFL, if you're not in the NFL, you're not in the major league. Deal with it. Move on. Coach with the fire take. I just, I just, it, it's something that would was really bothering me because I, you know, I saw the Seth promo. Then obviously all the stuff that's coming out with Dave right now. When you got a guy who busts his ass as much as he has the last year, and then you see just the fact that you know the weight of the world was on his shoulders when mm-hmm. you're the world champion the way that it is. And it's the same thing that happened with Michaels in the nineties. Well, it's it, just, it's, it's BS that it, you, you act this way. And you talk about a guy busting his ass to our knowledge. You think about it. The last time he took any sort of time off for was, real was the, the injury for real. Yeah. No, it's, he, it's crazy. N- never request time off. Bust his ass goes to all the house shows. Yeah. And has earned your respect. It's the Cena syndrome. Cena you know, syndrome, that's fair. Cena syndrome, Roman syndrome. Because, I mean, yeah. Well, no, here's the thing, though, because Roman has gotten time off, whether it be for reasons, you know, fair or unfair. And obviously, I'm, I'm being very sensitive to the leukemia situation because well, yeah. that's a real deal. Yeah, absolutely, that's a scare. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, but still, at the end of the day, he's had time off outside of that, that Seth has been the guy day in and day out doing the house shows. No, and I, I, I realize that, but what I'm saying is just, yeah. oh, he's no, the darling, he lo- they, everybody loves him, yeah. and all of a sudden, yep, nuclear. But, and, and, and to his problem, though, and, and, and I, I think go back to the Dean Ambrose-Jericho uh, podcast, and when you talk about the f- stuff that they were booked into, mm-hmm. Seth still went out there, and he knew it was dumb. Oh, yeah. Like, he knew it was garbage, but you make the best of, the, of a shitty situation. That's what he did day in and day out, and that earns your respect it's not deserved it's earned exactly success breeds a lot of negativity just because people are mad but you know they're at a different place and you know for a lot of times wrestlers you know when you are a fan of them and and they blow up and they and they get to be at a certain level you kind of lose interest and you just join in the bandwagon and jumping on yeah which is just which is stupid so stupid it is it is fully it's like be happy for what you're getting because right now we've said this i know 3fn has said this i think any podcast you listen to that really really talks wrestling. This is one of the best times to be a wrestling fan. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> and and to just go and just completely rip people down about that nonsense, it, it's just garbage. You're, not, you're missing the big picture. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we have major players on major networks for the first time in years is tremendous. I mean, it's just like there was a time when, you know, people thought WWE was going to fold when they after they bought WCW. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, I know Vince, you know, was, you know, in his high then. But, I mean, there was real issues within, you know, fan bases. And to see it come back up and be mainstream again, it's like, you know, us wrestling fans don't need to live in the dark anymore, you know. And that's great. No, it's an awesome time to be a fan. And, and obviously, to sum up the segment, NXT coming to the major leagues 
and really making a statement is a great move. The Makes dr- Survivor Series a must-watch. Yeah, that's now a must-watch. I don't understand how anybody could skip it. And give me Brock versus Walter. <laughs> that's what I want. Uh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm probably not, I'm probably not going to get my uh, War Games matchup between Imperium and Undisputed Era, but it's still going to be good. Uh, give it to me in NXT. I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, could you imagine how stiff that would be? Yes. I, you know, and I still I still <laughs> want Riddle and, and Brock. I still want to see that even. I, I want to see that happen. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Obviously, we gave you a lot of wrestling talk. What is your dream matches now that NXT has now made its invasion to the big shows? Who do you want to see match up? And we definitely want to know. We I got, mean, how do you think Survivor Series is going to be booked even? Exactly. Yeah. It's all up in the air, but it's going to be much watch wrestling. That's what we're going to be here for. Hit us up on the social media accounts. You can find them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH pad. Kick us off with that local minute. Local minute, of course, we're talking Binghamton Devils hockey. Not a good week for our Binghamton Devils last week. Uh, they had a game on October 30th against the Utica Comets where they lost by a final score of 3-1. to one. Friday they had against a game against the Americans where they lost by a final score of 4-2. to two. And then Saturday, Saturday they had a game uh, up in Syracuse against the Crunch where they lost by a final score of 3-2. to two. Uh, so looking ahead to the games they got this coming week, they have a game at home uh, Wednesday, November 6th against the Utica Comets, game time 7.05. Friday, they travel uh, back to play the Americans uh, at game time 7.05. And then Saturday, they return home to play the Utica Comets, game time 7.05. More information, BinghamtonDevils.com. One more thing on the uh, Devils there. They now on Wednesday nights is kids under, I believe, the age of 12 yes. get in free yes. every Wednesday home game for the rest of the year. So if you got a big family like I do, yes. <laughs> take advantage of that. And the thing I should note with the Friday game, because it is a couple of days before Veterans Day, it is military night with uh, free tickets for mil- active and former military servicemen. Awesome thing the Devils are doing. Yes. So BinghamtonDevils.com for more information on that. Coach? Well, the Binghamton Bulldogs were in action on November 2nd with a win over the once, at the at the time, undefeated Rock City uh, rival, I guess you can, so to speak, of the they're Bulldogs. They're not Syracuse. They're not They're rival. not Syracuse, but they're still, there's a little animosity from previous games. Uh, the Bulldogs won on a score of 122 to 113. They returned to action on uh, November 9th, so Saturday at 7.05, again, home game at St. Patrick's. So be on the lookout for that, BinghamtonBulldogs.com, or check their Facebook because that's where they're the most active. Yeah, they're most active Boom. on Facebook. And Moni Anderson decided oh, to yeah, make his that, big Oh, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to talk about. Big return with Moni Anderson. Unfortunately, not a size big return, but a necessary scoring uh, piece back for the Bulldogs to have. Yep, it was just you know a big shot in the arm. Dare say it's like a shot of Java, so to speak, to the oh, offense. I mean, I listen. We were both uh, sad to see Moni go. I mean, obviously a great opportunity for him to play in Europe, but very, very happy to see his return because he is a three-point sharp shooter. Yes, it is something the Bulldogs desperately need to if they're going to be anywhere on the court against Syracuse. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, his ability to stretch the floor and consistently hit a three point shot is, is huge. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it was a, it was a good boost in the arm. Dare I say, like I say, for me and coach, 
It's it's like a shot of Java because we need that coffee. We energy. need that coffee, baby. We need we, that energy. We need that energy. So the Bulldogs obviously is a huge addition to the roster, and obviously the countdown to January is on against oh. their true rival Syracuse. Let's go. And dare I say, when tickets go on sale for that game, folks, we can't stress enough. Get on it early because it is going to sell out real fast. Real fast. And to round out the local minute, we have to give a shout-out to our good friend Johnny Moose. Hey! And, and Team Excite Wrestling. Ooh. The Experience Hall kicked off their first show this yes. past weekend. Huge numbers at the gate. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, if you go to the Excite Facebook page, you can see a photo that was taken uh, during the show on uh, Saturday night. Standing room only. Yeah. I mean, there was body after body after body walking in. It was like uh-huh. a never-ending clown car. Yes. No, they said they had 100 walk-ups at the door. Oh, which is insane. On top of the tickets they already sold. So it was a must-see event. We were down there. The entire panel was there. Yeah. We had uh, members of Floodlands down there. Jimmy Gazzik was down there. We had John and Ross from Shout Out the Robots down there. There were so many people down there just interacting with Ron Simmons, former WWE uh, superstar, Hall of Famer, was in attendance. Bam! Dropped yeah. one. That was great. Dropped one. And it was a it was a great show. And I was like a cat on Christmas when that happened, just because like I'd never had the chance to see that in person. And you see him come out, and I, the crowd started buzzing, getting oh, real I felt excited. The same way, yeah, yeah. I was it, like, oh my god, he's gonna say it. It was just a perfect show to kick off the Excite Hall. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it I mean, was, Joey Ryan hall. with the surprise yeah. show up. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Joey Joey's a big fan favorite here in Binghamton. So to see him there, and we also have to give get well wishes. To Sean Carr, yes, who yes. Uh, who's uh, dealing with some stuff right now. So Sean, get well soon. We can't wait to see you back in the ring. Yeah, and they said that they every the first Saturday of every month is going to be a show there. Yep. So I mean that's awesome. Hopefully Sean, you know, can be there for the second card because there's a lot of unfinished business there in that mm-hmm. title picture. Yeah, we'll have to get Johnny Moose to come on the show. I know Johnny is a subscriber to the podcast. Yes. So uh, John, pull up. We got to talk a little excite business when you get time. But definitely, congratulations to those guys again. They've been putting in so much work, and to see the, that success, couldn't be more prouder of them. Huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. So let's round those bases and take this show home. Pad, what you got to kick us off? Got to talk a little bit of baseball, because unfortunately for me, I love NFL, don't get me wrong. Love NBA, love NHL, but my first love is Major League Baseball. We are officially in the Major League Baseball offseason, because the Washington Nationals were able to pull off the upset and defeat the Houston Astros in Game 7 of the World Series down in Houston, winning the World Series. Uh, Steven Strasburg, your MVP of the game. Congratulations to Washington and everything you got going there. You know, and uh, congratulations to Bryce Harper on being you know a little psychic, having a little foresight at the beginning of this season, saying they were going to bring a title back to Washington. Uh, that being said, we got some interesting uh, candidates announced for the various MLB awards that were announced. I'm not going to run through them all. If you want, you can go to MLB.com/awards to read the full list. But just some interesting ones to read out. Uh, for National League Manager of the Year, you have Craig Council of the Milwaukee Brewers, Mike Schilt of the St. Louis Cardinals, and then Brian Snedeker of the uh, Atlanta Braves are finalists over in the American League. Uh, it is Aaron Boone and two other folks because, let's face it, they had to name two other folks. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it, true. It's, true story. It's Rocco Baldelli of the Minnesota Twins, Aaron Boone of the New York Yankees, and Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays are finalists for the AL Manager of the Year Award. But I'm sorry, you know, Aaron Boone managed that team to the American League Championship Series with like 20 or 30 plus injuries. It's got to be him. Uh, of note, of, in the National League Rookie of the Year, of course, you have Peter Alonzo, former Binghamton Rumble Pony, is a finalist for uh, Rookie of the Year over in the American League. And then for uh, MVP awards in the American League, you have Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros, Mike Trout of the LA Angels, and then Marcus uh, Semyon of the Oakland A's. 
And then over in the National League, you have uh, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers, Anthony Rendon of the Nationals, and then Christian Yelich of the Brewers are all finalists. The thing I should note, because I know people are going to go, oh, it's Rendon. He had a great performance in the postseason. These uh, awards were all voted on before the end of the season. So postseason does not factor into the voting on this. So, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then of note, just a couple of interesting things with uh, free agency. Since that's going on, uh, Steven Strasburg has opted out of his contract with the Washington Nationals and will be a free agent. Uh, J.D. Martinez is staying in with his contract with the Boston Red Sox, so he will not be opting out to try and seek uh, his best services elsewhere. Got a lot of potential, you know, big moves on the offseason. A lot of names. I won't run through them all. Biggest thing for me has got to be some of the pitchers. Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Zach Wheeler, the mad Bumgardner, you know, among some of the names and big pitching that are free agents this offseason. So it's going to be a busy offseason. It's definitely going to be a busy offseason. Strasburg leaving Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make sense. I mean, obviously his his stock has never been higher. Yeah, sure. Only series. 31 years old. Yeah, so definitely he's got a lot of good arms, you know, seasons left with, yeah. that, with that arm. Uh, Martinez staying with Boston makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially, you know, three years left on the deal, something like 60-some-odd million dollars. You know, he's not going to get that money elsewhere. I mean, Texas has got some money. I think I read someplace else the White Sox have some money, but just it, it's a short place, and he knows he's going to contend in Boston. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense there. D.D. Gregorius is opting out um, for the well, Yankees, or it, he didn't get resigned. He did, well, they didn't give him a qualifying offer, so... But the way it works is, you know, so he could sign someplace else. But if he signs someplace else, the Yankees will re- receive a, a draft pick. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of moves happening for baseball. So yeah. we'll definitely be talking about that moving forward. But congrats to the Nats. Yeah. You know, pulling off the major upset. I mean, the first time in World Series history yeah. that the away team won every game mm-hmm. and the home team lost every yeah. game. Wild. Absolutely mm-hmm. wild. Coach, what you got? College basketball is back. Hey. 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 Uh, Duke kicks off tonight against Kansas in uh, the college uh, kickoff in Madison Square Garden. That is airing right now, actually, on ESPN as we speak. Uh, College basketball, obviously a fun time, only leading up to March Madness. Ken, I'm not so sure about these Duke Blue Devils this year. I'm I'm a little apprehensive about this roster. In Coach K, we trust. Yeah, this I is mean, true. I mean, you know, with Duke, you know what you're going to get. I mean, obviously, coming off last year's MVP team or NBA team, rather, you're going to have a downgrade. But is it a drastic drop off? No, I yeah. just it's interesting because last year was such an elite class of literally the number one two and five player in the nation all coming and then you know trey jones rounding it out with i believe he was a a, a number nine Mm -hmm. so i mean you have four of the top 10 players in the nation all coming in at one time which is i mean unheard of since you know uh uh, Kentucky's done it uh, with the John Wall class, so it's very interesting to see what this class is going to be because it's actually more four-star recruits than it is top five, you know, uh, top five recruits. Yeah. So, so. Coach K is going to actually have to coach him up a little bit this year. So he can work with some magic, though. Yeah, but it's always the fun time seeing college basketball. Like I, I get into a little more than the NBA at least. Oh, until, for sure. At least before Christmas. Uh, yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm very excited. I'm. Uh, you know, being a Knicks fan, uh, Greg Anthony's son, Cole Anthony, unfortunately spurned uh, Notre Dame, which I was very upset about because <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that he had left Notre Dame uh, in his top three and thought there was some outside chance that, you know, they were going to come in and pull out 
you know, his recruitment, but he ultimately ended up in North Carolina. So I'm actually going to catch a lot of North Carolina games because I love Cole Anthony. I think he's a great talent. I loved his dad as a Nick. Um, and I watched a lot of Cole Anthony when he was at Oak Hill last year. So seeing him in North Carolina blue is going to hurt to watch some of those games, but I'm going to be cheering for him nonetheless. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season to watch. I mean, I'm, I'm actually really intrigued to see what Michigan State does. Yeah, they're going to be a very, very good team. They're going to be a really good team. So, obviously, it kicks off tonight. ESPN's got the game on Kansas and Duke. Yep. So, you know, check your local listings wherever you watch college basketball because it's kicking in. Hit us up on hashtag ODPH. Who is your predictions to bring home the chip in March when we all go dancing? Now, if we, if I, I can request one thing of you this year. I know that I believe that I heard that you were planning on doing this year. I just hope it's true. I hope all the Duke-North Carolina games are Saturday. Yeah, mm. please. I cannot take a Wednesday at nine o'clock. That yeah. doesn't end up tipping off till like nine forty-five. Yeah, I'm it's ho- it's got to be it's so fucking frustrating. Can, can we just make like flex like schedule? For yeah, I mean, I have a life. Like, I have to be up in the morning. I cannot wait for you know a schedule nine o five tip off that doesn't end up tipping off until nine thirty-five. Yeah, that is just. Two, and then, I, you know, I end up staying up till halftime. My wife's always like, Sean, are you going to go to bed here? And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to watch till halftime. And then midway through the second half, I, I'm going to go to bed, you know, midway through the second half. And then I end up just finishing the game at 12 o'clock. And then I'm a zombie the next day. Yeah. We need to maybe tweet that out. We need flex schedule. I did last year. I, I literally I tweeted at ESPN. It's ridiculous that two East Coast teams that nobody gives a flying F about on the West Coast because they're all too busy watching UCLA and USC – even care to watch Duke in North Carolina. Yeah, fully agree with that. So we'll see what happens this year, but it's going to be a fun season to watch nevertheless. And like I said, hashtag ODPH, who do you think is bringing home the chip in March? Oh, so early to make I that know. call. But you know what we did last <laughs> week, the way too early NBA predictions? Let's do the way too early college basketball one. Uh, 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 Duke. Yes. <laughs> I'll take Duke any day of the week, so you know it doesn't matter for me. Pad, you got any thoughts on this? Binghamton University. Going long shot. They're playing Cornell tonight. Hey. Ten-point dogs. One shining moment. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance on paper, folks. Let's see what happens. So let's close out rounding the bases. Now, Saturday night was UFC 244. Yes. There was another fight going on. It had a bit of a debacle itself. Which was kind of wild because yeah. the fight between Canelo Alvarez, who was mm-hmm. fighting at light heavyweight. Yep. So stepping up from his usual middleweight grounds to fight at light heavyweight yep. against Sergey Kovalev. They actually postponed the start of their boxing card. And if I'm not mistaken, they announced this like the day of, day before? Yeah, no, I think it was the day. No, I thought it was the day of. I saw a tweet that Dazen or Dazone was like, we're going to hold off uh, the boxing match until the UFC card's over. Maybe maybe I was hearing the rumor a couple days before, but yeah, you were right. They actually postponed the start behind UFC 244, which it, is wild to right. me. Right, and so so basically what they did is they ran through their preliminary card, they ran through their main card up to the main event, you know, the fight that everyone paid whatever it is to get on Dazzin or whatever pay-per-view subscriber you go through, you know, paid the ungodly amount of money they probably paid to get into the venue, and then they just sat there for, I want to say it was like at least an hour and a half. It was, a, it was an hour and a half. Almost. They sat through an hour and a half. And then they had to sit through the national anthems and everything else with the pomp and, and circumstance before the fight, before they actually started the fight. That's yeah. knowing your lane. Yeah. This, that's that's knowing your place I'll and say, the pecking order. I don't care how the boxing match went that night. Boxing itself took an L that night. Oh, boxing took an L. Like, if you have this debate about what's a bigger sport, boxing or MMA, there is your case. Case closed. 
But to sum up what actually happened, because this was kind of wild for me, because I, I think I watch boxing out of everybody from the panel a lot more. Yes. I didn't even know boxing was still a thing. Yeah. Canelo Alvarez is now a four-division ch- boxing champion. The champ, 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 champ. Yeah. The ch- champ. That's which, a mouthful. Which is crazy because he beat Kovalev in the 11th round with a, with a combo off the ropes and just you saw Kovalev fall. So to see Canelo do this is absolutely nuts. I mean, when you have 50 million belts, winning four, is that really great? Well, Just, no, give, just but, make them all into one belt. Make it like 24 <laughs> karat gold. But just the fact that, he, like I said, he usually fights a, a middleweight, which is like Super around one, 168, 170. You know, like I forget the exact pound. Oh, so it was a yeah, different yeah. weight class. 205. All right, all right that's, yeah. that's tremendous. 205. Yeah. Which is mind-blowing to me. So the fact that he won that and he's now the WBO light heavyweight champion, which is <laughs> absolutely insane. Uh, this was a big night for boxing, but like I said, they also took the L to the MMA world by postponing the fight from happening when it did. And and I'm sorry, and still my opinion, Triple G won the first two fights. We don't need a trilogy fight. You know, I don't think it's so much taking an L as just knowing your place. Well, you have to wonder. Uh, the fans took an L because you got to feel dumb fan, as hell waiting the fa- there an hour and a half. The fans took an L, and I'm always curious how much money they had to get back in refunds for angry people because they went so okay. So they didn't just delay the main event until after the UFC fight went, but then also they started showing said UFC fight in the arena in Vegas where they were having this thing with sound on. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But to see him now a four division champion. You know, it, it's just wild. And like I said, for boxing, it's it's a good thing. I mean, for Canelo, because especially Masvidal was calling him out, and he said he wants to box him now too. Right. Which I'm going to tell uh, Masvidal, no, I, I respect your punching ability. I would just say dominate in the MMA world because that's where you will just absolutely tear people apart. Canelo is Canelo, and, and like we, we've seen this where a boxer will fight an MMA fighter. It's not to say they won't hang, but for Canelo, obviously he's going – with a Hall of Fame career, to to kind of do a, like a mix and match fight like that, I just don't really see it. And I, like I said, it's a big night for him, and uh, kudos to him. And like I said, the Triple G fight, we don't need to see it happen. I'm sorry, Triple G won both. Enough said. So let's go into those locks and leaps, shall we? So I will kick us off. Okay. I am taking the Saints. I love that he keeps going first now. Yeah. 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 Well, so I'm not tying anybody. <laughs> I'm taking the Saints. Because who are they facing? The Atlanta Falcons. Exactly. So that's some low-hanging fruit there. Well, the one thing about the takeaway from this week is there is a lot of easy favorites to pick. Yeah. I mean, no matter where you want to go in the league. But for this, like I said, who is Atlanta exactly? What uh, is Atlanta? Yeah. Unless it's the Hawks right now, there's nothing happening well, in Atlanta. John Collins just got suspended today, so that's <laughs> not helping anything. Yeah, Very true. It's, it's definitely not helping. And just to see like where they're going, like I said, the Saints should win this outright. This shouldn't even be that close. For my leap, though, I am actually going to say the 49ers will no longer be undefeated. Ooh. I am taking Seattle on the road. Oh. Okay. Um, outright win, or are you going to take the points? Outright win. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Roll those dice, baby. I am rolling on the Russell Wilson bandwagon. I think this is going to be a very close game. Yeah. But I think Seattle wins this one. I'll, in fact, they even say 21-17. Okay. I'll give you your points okay. on that. So let's roll those dice. Who else is going? Pad? Sure. Uh, well, my lock is the same as yours because, let's face it, you know, Drew Brees coming off a bye week against the, the Atlanta Falcons, who, like you said, 
we don't know who the heck's going to show up for Atlanta and who's going to play. It's it's really suspect at this point. Uh, for my leap, I'm going to take the Detroit Lions to beat the Chicago Bears. Currently, Chicago is favored by two and a half points. I think, you know, Chicago, another one, we don't know what in God's name we're going to get with them. And I think oh, the, we, we know what we're going to get. Great defense, god-awful offense. And a god-awful kicking game. You know, but Detroit, I think they'll be able to pull it out. I don't doubt that at all. Coach? So I'm looking for the Chargers on here. I'm not opting for that low-hanging fruit. I'm saying nay. I want to reach for my food, and I want to hunt for it. Okay. And I am taking for my leap. Nobody circles those wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Oh. Yeah, you pulled it off last week. against Cle- I'm riding the hot hand against Cleveland at Cleveland. They are a dumpster fire. They are uh, – Freddie Kitchens is – uh, I mean, a worse head coach than Pat Schumer and McAdoo. And that's He's literally, something. if Ben McAdoo and Pat Schumer had a kid, it would be Freddie Kitchens. It's that bad in Cleveland right now. You can't get Odell Beckham the ball. You can't get Jarvis Landry the ball. You got Baker Mayfield uh, in shambles. This guy doesn't know what kind of mustache he wants to have. You got guys having to change cleats at halftime because they're mustache wearing... Mustache gate. Yeah, you got guys changing cleats at the middle of the of, uh, games because they can't be wearing those. You got three turnovers in three straight drives against the Patriots. My God. I mean, how easy is two and a half point dogs to, to Cleveland? Thank you very much. I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping you're right. I, really I mean, am. I'm riding the hot hand. the 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 Bills have not failed me yet, so let's continue that journey. Absolutely. And then it's kind of like saying Akeem Talib is undefeated in Miami. Right. Exactly. And then he's not seeing ghosts, so it helps. No, he's not. <laughs> and then for my lock, there was no quarterback worse playing against 500 teams or better than 500 teams than Kirk Cousins. Okay. Who again lost to a team above 500 last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. So I am taking the Dallas Cowboys. This has just got to hurt your soul. No, oh, it was painful to say, but they are three-point favorites. Sunday night football in Dallas. Ooh. Let's go. Vikings will uh, – see, now, I'm not saying, like, Dallas is going to win the yeah, game yeah. as much as I'm saying Minnesota will lose the game ah, okay. because of Kirk Cousins' ineptitude against teams that are above 500. Phrasing. So thank you, Kirk Cousins – for losing this game for me. Well, so you like that. I like that. I like it. Sound guy galore, JR. I can't wait to get your response on this. And this, this proves that the Giants have officially broke Coach Duffy if he's taken Dallas. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm so far low in the standings right now. I'm going for desperation. I think Dallas is going to cover this game, so I'm trying to get the bonus points. It's all strategy here, baby. Oh, you, you got you got to pull it out right because I, I tell you, locks and leaps is getting really interesting. I mean, Rich has got a, a lead, but Pat is catching up. I think I'm, Andy, if I'm not mistaken, I'm tied with him. I, I say if you're not, you guys are like if not one behind. And like I said, Andy's coming on long see, too. See, I'm going strategy here by games that I know will cover. See, 101 right now, guys. A sharp, a sharp in here. We don't hey, call, still got to come for the belt. We don't call him coach for nothing, folks. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to put it. So I need a Paul Heyman promo right now. I'm reigning, defending, undisputed. We'll have to see. Whoever uh, wins locks and leaves will have to have come on here and give a victory speech. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do that. Yeah, this year. give give him the honor of a speech. Yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be part of the the incentive to win. 
The music you heard on this episode is out of Fair City Fire. You can find them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Check under the music section. It'll take you right to their webpage. It'll take you to their Instagram, their Twitter, everything you need to hear about Fair City Fire, one of the best bands out of Austin, Texas. you also hear about Shout at the Robots, Floodlands, Honker, Walking Distance, and so much more on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can also check out Hashtag 607 Podcast. You can hear about all the things going on with 8122 Productions. Three Fat Nerds just started a Patreon, so you definitely want to go check that out. You can find out about Horizon 607. You can find out about Photography by Mike Blakesley, our good buddy traveling down to New York City this week. In fact, we got to put up a link to ExciteWrestling.com so you can find out about all the monthly shows going on. I think we'll have to add that when Johnny Moose comes on the show. And you can also find out about Parlay Points on OchoDuroParleyHour.com, the complimentary blog section to the podcast, so we're interacting in between the week. So much going on odph you need to be subscribing to that website as well as the podcast itself because that's all we got for this week so for your coach my coach the coach coach duffy i i be better than pat schumer in your week people he's making me choke up here folks i just i don't know what else to say i'm lost for words good night and good luck for padawan j thank you thank you i'm your host ken thank you as always for listening to the ocho duro parlay hour podcast we'll see you next time